Welcome to The Working Therapist with Hayden Bolick, a podcast designed to help you grow more, do more, and be more as a therapist. The Working Therapist is an extension of the Pediatric Developmental Therapy Network. We're glad you've joined us for today's podcast. So here's your host, Hayden Bolick. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this episode of The Working Therapist. I'm Hayden Bolick, your host. And today we are talking with um, Holly Camplin, who is our guest. And we are going to talk about assistive technology, specifically augmentative alternative communication. So thanks, number one, for being here. And I'm super excited about this topic. I feel like I've used AAC devices, low tech and high tech most of my career, but I certainly am not an expert in this. So I am thrilled to have Holly with us today because she is and she can enlighten all of us. So welcome. Thank you. Happy to be here. So Holly, tell everybody a little bit about yourself and your background and tell everybody a little bit how you got involved in that area and about yourself. Sure. My name is Holly Camplin. I work with assistive technology work and I am a speech and language pathologist. I worked for 14 years in the school system in the area of North Carolina I live in and just gradually kind of my caseload morphed into having a population that was nonverbal or needed some augmentative communication for their limited mm-hmm. verbal skills. Mm-hmm. And by the end of that 14 years, that was kind of the bulk of my caseload. So huh. I just kind of learned it by jumping in and making a lot of mistakes in the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> so no formal training, you just sort of did what needed. And enjoyed it. So it was just kind of serendipity. <laughs> and now you're this AAC expert person, but if you were afraid to begin with, then I think it gives hope to the rest of us who may be a little bit nervous and afraid of these high-tech devices because they're pretty expensive. Yeah, and you really should not be afraid to try it. I mean, there's so many specialty areas in our field. You know, you could become a fluency specialist or you could become an accent specialist or you could um, spend most of your career doing Arctic therapy. AAC is just one of those components. So you, you shouldn't be afraid to try it and you might find you love it just like I did. One of the nice things about this field is you really can't limit yourself unless you choose to do that. So I think, you know, just stay in trying new things. And that's what my role is. And that's what I love about my job right now is as a consultant, I get to come along therapist, either very new to AAC or more experienced in AAC. And I get to help them learn more about the process and give them that assurance that, you know, I can guide you through it. You're not going to be lost. You don't have to figure it out all on your own. I'm a resource therapists as they go through the process and learn the process. You mentioned that you work for Assistive Tech Works. What exactly is that? What does this organization do? Well, Assistive Technology Works is a group of speech therapists out on our offices located in Virginia, although we all live in our respective areas where we work. So I live in North Carolina and serve Eastern North Carolina and South Carolina. Ah. But we're a group of speech therapists that consult with other therapists and families, anyone Mm -hmm. who is going through the process or thinking about going through the process of getting a speech generating device for their client or just needs to think through and troubleshoot some AAC options, low or high tech, then our role is to come in beside you, the speech therapist, and help you navigate that process. So I could be working with you for a very short time just to get you the information you need, or I could be with you through the whole process as you need it. It's kind of up to each team to let me know how much support they need. So I can be beside you every step of the way 
or I can just be your go-to when you have a question. (laughs) Yeah, that's good. And so that's a pretty big window of options and a pretty valuable resource for us, considering that you're able to do as little or as much as a therapist would need. So you probably get lots of questions of of all kinds of stuff. (laughs) I do. That's a big part of my job is just to be that resource for therapists in my area. Um, We want you to know that you can email me or call me and just say, hey, here's what's happening. Here's what I'm thinking. You know, what kind of resources do you have where should I go to get this resource or this support? Or how do I start the process? So I'm very open to that. And I always encourage therapists to err on the side of calling me or emailing Mm -hmm. me more, because if I don't know what you need, then I can't help you. But I'm always happy to help if I know what your need is. So if for any of the people out there listening, they could go to the Assistive Technology Works website and then find representatives in their area like yourself? They could. In our area, we work in the southeastern region. So we're like Virginia, West Virginia, North Carolina, South Carolina, Tennessee. Um, If you are outside of that region, then two of the bigger companies that I work with are PRC. And they have a website where nationally you can find a consultant. Wow. And Satillo is the other company I work with. And they also have a website where you can go nationally and find your regional consultant. Okay. And we will put both of those resources on our show notes as well so that people can go there, find it, and use that accordingly. If they go to the websites outside of our, if they're outside of our region, then they can find a consultant in their area that does what I do in North and South Carolina. So then in your job, I'm assuming you do travel some, a good amount? I travel a couple of days a week. So I usually plan about a month in advance and Mm -hmm. travel all over North and South Carolina to help therapists, whether it be in their clinic setting or in their client's home or in a rehab Mm. facility or a school system. I usually start out by going out and visiting them face to face and letting them look at the equipment and troubleshoot with me or just talk through what they need with me. So yeah, a couple of days a week, I'm usually on the road meeting with people face to face. And then I'm, I'm home a couple of days of the week too in my office, assisting people with online meetings and trainings and I do a lot of remote support that way. So what do you enjoy the most about what you do? Because it's pretty diverse. You go and do and sometimes you get to stay put. So what do you enjoy the most about what you do? I think I love that it never gets boring. There's always something new. You know, you you walk in a clinic and you just never know what personality you're going to meet or what problems you're going to get to help someone solve. And, you know, when you walk away from a consultation and you've helped a therapist or a family member figure out what solution will work for their child or their loved one that will allow them to communicate, there's nothing better than that. You're in a very unique, uh, some of those who potentially could be a candidate. I mean, would they be using sentences or like what? Your more common examples of a client that would have natural speech that would still need a speech generating device could be an apraxic child or a child with Down syndrome. So your apraxic child may have some natural speech. But maybe it's not understandable to unfamiliar listeners, which would also be the case for a child with Down syndrome. Or at any given moment with your apraxic child, they can't get that word. You know, yesterday they could say that word or that sentence, and today they're groping for it because that's just the nature of apraxia. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes the harder they try the more difficult it becomes for them. So those are two classic examples of when you would have some natural speech but need a device to either clarify what you're saying or to go back and add to what you're saying or set the context of what you're saying so that that unfamiliar listener 
can really still communicate with you and understand what you're saying. So one of the things I've seen through the years, Holly, is when a child sometimes, they maybe have some natural voice, but they're maybe very limited in what they'll say, but their receptive skills, I feel like they've got a lot of potential, or I'm not really sure receptively what they do and don't know because it doesn't match expressively what they can get out. And so Mm -hmm. sometimes it's harder to test that. For lots of reasons, there can be obstacles to trying to for me to really be able to get an accurate picture of receptively what that child can do, but expressively, you know, they're not getting out much. So what I have seen through the years, the actually the all calm device can help the child become more verbal because it sort of almost puts a tangible thing to words and phrases. That is very true. Um, Checklist of all the things I had to have tried with my client before I could consider a device Mm-hmm. And I really don't feel that way at all anymore. There's no prerequisite skills they have to meet or that I have to go through with them mm-hmm. before we start looking at a communication device. Yeah, I know the last time we were working together, I said, so what about this one? I mean, you were there already, so I like it wasn't going to hurt anything for you just to yeah. eyeball them to say yes, no, maybe so. Because you, know, you work with so many different kids that you have a better perspective on it, or mm-hmm. you may see some things that I won't see since I'm not doing what you do every day. So I completely use you as a sounding board, too. You know, we were also talking about the reason why you some reasons you intervene early with a speech generating device, even if you suspect or Ah. feel like they're going to develop natural speech is Mm -hmm. learning to have expressive language is a skill you need to practice just like any other cognitive skill. So if you've got some, some way to practice putting words together to create thoughts and sentences, Mm -hmm. then you're, you're building your expressive language skills, even while you're still waiting on that, natural speech mechanism to develop you know if you all of a sudden your voice is working but you haven't been practicing how to put verbs and nouns and adjectives and pronouns together to express yourself then you don't have any words ready to go right (laughs) does that that make sense so completely receptive language could be really high but if you haven't been practicing using your expressive language skills Mm -hmm. that gap's just going to get bigger and bigger I mean, if you've never been expressive and you've never used words or phrases, then you probably don't see any value in that. So then you're not going to be naturally inclined to do it. So you're like, well, whatever. What's the pragmatic reason I need to talk if I've never talked before? You know, whether that talking is your own voice or sign language or assistive technology. You know, if you've always been passive in your communication, then... Yeah, you you really don't develop that give and take of communication that we always want kids to to learn to have. Other types of people that are appropriate are so child a child can be verbal um, mm-hmm. or have you know some natural voice verbal, but other children who are completely nonverbal would also be appropriate. But so you you know maybe a child with cerebral palsy that's never right. had speech, mm-hmm. um, a child on the spectrum who has no speech. Um, right. Of course, it could be. There could be something that they have an acquired deficiency later in life, too. Ah. An accident, you know, could happen that you lose your voice. So there's lots of different things. Um, SMA is a, a diagnosis that I've seen more and more as I've specialized in AAC. That's um, spinal muscular atrophy. It's um, It kind of appears like ALS in children. So they, they gradually lose, or many of them lose some muscular strength over time. 
we don't see as many kids who who are losing skills, but but that's we have in the past, and so mm-hmm. I can see how that would completely be an AAC sure. device would be um, helpful. <laughs> um, so, and you say you can start using these devices early with a child, and then mm-hmm. is there a certain age where you wouldn't consider it until they're a certain age or a certain skill level where you're like, I would like for them to be able to at least do this before. And the younger you are, the easier. We all know you learn things right. so much easier when you're young. Um, in fact, some some kids that take to AAC later in life, you know, if they've developed, you know, their own idiosyncratic, you know, gestures that they do with their family that work, you know, right. then, you, then you're trying to say, okay, well, that's great, but now we want you to learn to communicate this way too. So sometimes... You know, the earlier the better because you're not creating a comfort level where the kids always communicated this certain way and now they don't see the benefit of having to learn a new way of talking. And and the flip side of that is I don't think it's ever too late either. You know, I've I've worked with kids who were nonverbal in high school when I met them and they've never really tried any kind of assistive technology and, and they've done beautifully when we find the right system for them that allows them to communicate. Good. And see, I think it's good to know that it's not too late. Mm-hmm. That's great. How about a child who's hearing impaired, who maybe never really um, was fully integrated into sign language or maybe didn't have a cochlear implant? Have you ever seen a, a device used with a child with hearing impairment? I have. I have. Not as often because a lot of times you're right, they do communicate with the American Sign Language. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But if that is not, you know, the sign language is is one of those things where you just have to consider how effective are they using it and in right. what environments can they use it. Right. If, you, if you're in, with a um, child who doesn't always have an interpreter with them or they're going out in the community and without an interpreter, then can an assistive technology piece of equipment, can a speech-generating device add to and supplement their sign language so that right. if they're wanting to ask a question at the grocery store or at a restaurant – and the employee there doesn't know sign language, they have another tool they can bring out to help them communicate. Gotcha. And then they're more independent. So let's sort of jump right into how you go about getting an Ogcom device for a child. You've identified the device, you kind of found your rep, and you know what that person can do as a resource for you and how they can be helpful. So what can you talk us through how an Ogcom assessment looks and then um, start the – Help us understand the steps for getting a device. Sure. Yeah. Well, the, the first thing that, that I noted when I took this role as being a consultant for assistive technology works is that most of the time therapists come to me and parents come to me with the question, um, when can you come do this assessment? And um, <laughs> what date do I put on this evaluation? <laughs> like, like, And it, clear, mm. it became clear to me that people were seeing it as a one-time event. Ah. And it's really not. Um, It is not a one-day event. Your evaluation for AAC starts the minute that you as the therapist have the thought of, I need to find another way for this child to communicate. Hmm. That's a good Mm -hmm. person. You know, as young young as they are or the early in your time meeting them, when you have the thought of, I need to supplement their voice or give them another way to communicate, or look at some alternative way for them to tell me something, you have started your assessment. Hmm. Right. That makes sense. Yeah. Because it's really a process that extends 
over a long period of time, when you actually end up doing your report, your culmination of, you know, I finally know what's right for this kid and we're going to seek this device, you're reflecting all the way back to the first time you, you know, gave them a picture board or the first time you taught them the more sign so that right. they could tell you something. You're reflecting all the way back to that. So it's really not a one-day thing. Mm-hmm. That being said, mm-hmm. your assessment can involve me when you decide that you need a speech-generating device. You need something more high-tech. So maybe you've done pecs and you've done some signing or you've done some other kind of um, choice choice boards or eye gaze boards, but you've decided you want to seek something more, maybe because the other options were too limiting for them. Mm-hmm. Then I would be coming in and bringing a variety of things for you to try with your client, and I would help you with that. And then in North Carolina and in South Carolina, you're looking at a required four-week trial of a piece of equipment before you can request a funding source to purchase it. A couple of things about what you said. First, I love the fact that it's not a one-and-done kind of situation because I feel like when I work with children who have had a device after a one-and-done type of assessment, not all the options and not all the factors were sometimes considered. Right. And so sometimes this big old device that costs a ton of money was bought mm-hmm. when really it doesn't truly meet all the needs because sometimes the therapist who's treating the child's opinion wasn't sometimes considered. Now, I'm not poo-pooing any of that. I just... Well, I guess really I am. The continuum is what I really, really like about what you said. Right. right. The continuum of the assessment. And that also should make most therapists feel a little more relaxed or a mm-hmm. little less pressured to make a decision on the spot. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we don't want you to have 30 minutes and look at all these device options and then say, which one are you going to pick? Right. You know, exactly. You really should experience it in more occasions with your client try it out in different language contexts, you know, and let's do mm-hmm. it for some requesting, but let's also see, you know, how can they use this to ask a question or how can they do this to regulate their environment? How could they use this to interact and just have fun with a peer? So you're looking at all kinds of things when you're looking at a, a speech generating device assessment. There is maybe the one day you might look at lots right. of equipment and that could be an assessment date, part of your assessment, but your assessment really goes beyond that too, because you're wanting to use it multiple times with Mm -hmm. various communication partners and observe how effective it is. And, you know, at some point you might say, you know, this really isn't meeting their needs or this really is too hard for them to access. We need to try something different. So then that four-week trial with a device, it's not considered an assessment, but really it, it is. That four-week trial, in, and this is in North and South Carolina, each state has their own standards for what their funding requires. So I am speaking about North and South Carolina right now. But that four-week trial is a part of that process. Okay, so let me make sure I have the whole picture here. It's not a one-time assessment. You've been looking at the child, assessing different options, trying to figure out if the Ocom device would be the right way. How is this child going to express themselves? How are they going to communicate? They can mm-hmm. call someone like you in and you can bring devices. Is that what, what you would do? A variety of devices, yeah. I would bring right. you several different things and different ways of accessing devices for you mm-hmm. to try. Mm-hmm. And then at that point, you might eliminate some choices right away based on size or accessibility vision or mobility, you might rule some things out pretty quickly. They kind of hone in on one or two things that really have good potential to meet your client's needs. And you would help us sort of make those decisions. Yeah. Yeah. 
as I said in the beginning, you know, I'm your resource to be as involved as you need me to with feedback and mm-hmm. observations, or I can just kind of be your, your resource off to the side. Therapists that like to have me there mm-hmm. for the consult, I definitely can say, well, here's how this would work and here's how we could adapt it for your client. I see that they're having trouble with this button size. Maybe we adjust the button size on the screen or I see that, you know, the hand and limb access is not good. Maybe let's look at eye gaze. So I'm definitely there to throw those options out and help you think through your troubleshooting process. Gotcha. From someone like me who loves to collaborate and like bring it on, the more the better. I'm all about you coming out and bringing the devices and helping me figure it out. But I like the fact that you listen to what I know about the child because I've been Mm -hmm. treating the child. And I mean, I defer to you because you're the expert on the devices and what works and what doesn't work and what the options are. And you defer to me because I know sort of the child is the speech What your client needs. Yeah. So I really do try to keep listening throughout the whole process to make sure that what you're saying your client needs and what their abilities are, that we're matching that to the device and the accessories that we have available. And that's the other thing. I don't do an assessment for anyone. It's the speech therapist that's treating the client. It's their assessment. But I'm definitely your resource to answer questions along the way, to offer you options when you come to a stumbling block. If if this isn't working, then what else could we try? How could Ah. we adjust this equipment, get the child um, motivated or excited about what you're doing so that they can see how this device is going to make their life better? Mm -hmm. Um, Or for the families to to help them see when they're at home trying the device what they could do at home. That's um, very doable in that four-week period, but not too much. You don't want to overwhelm people during a four-week trial because you definitely shouldn't feel like you have to master everything on the device during that four weeks. You're just looking at your building blocks and the potential because this is a device you're going to have for several years. So you're not just looking at it meeting their needs right now, but where do you see your longer term goals for this client and can this device grow with them as you're looking at those longer term goals? When you come out for the initial consultation and you're there and bring some of the devices, the equipment, if the child is, for example, in a wheelchair, I like to have the physical therapist or the occupational therapist there so that you can sort of see. So that during the trial period, I can say, hey, you remember they're in that chair and then they have this mm-hmm. type of tray and they have to travel so-and-so. Well, this right. device, we're having problems with this. Have you seen a situation where we can fix this situation? Yeah. But I like to give you as much information as possible so you can help me later. Yeah, it's always <laughs> great when you can get your OTs and PTs involved because they Mm -hmm. always come at it from a different perspective. Mm -hmm. They may see something that we Mm -hmm. don't see because they're looking at it from their background. Um, I always think that's great when you can have a real team integrated together to to help a child. Well, it's really the whole child because this Mm -hmm. device has got to be whole child accessible in every aspect of their life or they really won't use it. Part of your AAC team that's doing this process, this assessment that's last over a period of time can be definitely your parent, your teacher, your TAs, any paraprofessionals working with that student. Their observation of how the device is working in the different settings they see the child in, those are really important too. 
Right. I'm so glad you said that. I think it's huge, huge. Once you've done the assessment, you've seen the different types of devices, you've picked out the device, you've done the trial, you've checked all those boxes. So what are some of the obstacles to third-party payment? Because someone has to buy this device. Well, <laughs> all you speech therapists out there <laughs> love to hear that you have to do the paperwork. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's usually how it goes down. <laughs> yeah. If you are looking at a funding source like insurance or Medicaid Mm -hmm. in North and South Carolina, you're definitely looking at a licensed speech therapist being required to send in an evaluation. Now, that evaluation is going to reflect back on everything. When I said your process for AAC starts very early, you know, you're going to go back and reflect on all the things you did prior to seeking out a speech generating device. Mm -hmm. And that can become a pretty lengthy document. But we do try to help as much as we can guide you through that process because we know it can be daunting, especially if you've never done it before. So myself, I do online trainings with therapists on a regular basis to teach them about that process and what kinds of things are required for Mm. a funding packet to go through Medicaid or insurance or Medicare. I hope people will feel comfortable reaching out to me and asking me those questions because when I know what your questions are, I can help you with them. So Um, where would they go to find out the information for some of those classes? Are the classes free? Well, they're free in my area, but the therapists that I work with, I Mm -hmm. always offer that as part of my services in the area. I'm always happy to set up an online training with you and talk about your client's needs and what their funding source is and what the requirements are for that particular funding source. Okay. Um, Above and beyond that, PRC's Mm -hmm. website, which Ah. I think you're going to list in your resources at the end, Mm -hmm. they have an online funding assistant and they also have some recorded online classes that are on demand and free that you can watch that take you through some of the requirements for funding. And then they also have some real-time online courses that you can sign up for as well. So there's a lot of different opportunities for you to get that information. Well, that helps because if you've never written up one of these types of reports, it can be a little daunting and a little intimidating. It is. That is your first hurdle as the therapist is deciding you're going to do it and just jump right in and get started. (laughs) Actually, getting started is the hardest part, but I do always try to help you as much as you need me to Mm -hmm. if you've got questions. I try to go through it with you as much as you need because I remember my first report and it wasn't easy (laughs) and it took me a while and I had a couple of drafts before I got everything the way it needed to be. So I understand where therapists are coming from. I can empathize with that. How has technology changed since you started doing this job? Well, everything, just like any electronics today, is getting smaller, lighter, faster, Every time I turn around, there's, you know, a new update to the software that makes all the devices run better, run more efficiently, last longer, longer battery lives, um, which is important. You know, if you're carrying a device with you to communicate, you want it like people's cell phones. You want it to last the battery to hold out all day. You don't want it to be tethered to a charging source all the time. So right. The eye gaze system, which is, you know, the ability to use your eyes to control a computer. I hope you were going to talk about that because that um, technology is just expanding and becoming so much better than it ever was. We've had that technology around for years, but in the last year or so, the leaps and bounds they've made in the processing ability and the, the ability for it to follow your eyes has just grown leaps and bounds. It's like night and day. So 
therapists who ever tried eye gaze technology with a client years ago really should revisit it because it is such a different experience now. Just myself sitting down at one of those devices and trying it myself, it's so much easier to use than it used to be, so much easier to set up than it used to be, so much more forgiving in your positioning of your client. Mm. So that's just amazing to see how far that's coming. Yes. We just did an assessment together not too long ago where we tried out an eye gaze system. And I was really thinking old school. So I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm going to need like an hour worth of setup time to get this thing going. I mean, literally, it set up in like a minute. I was like, is that it? It was amazing. And then for this little person to be so independent as quickly as she was with it is yeah, I she was, was young. Floored. All that about, oh, clients need to be a certain age <laughs> and able to do this, prove right. that they can do this or this before we can give them a device is just out the window now. It I really mean, is. It was it, amazing. Ten years or so ago mm-hmm, when mm-hmm. people were working with equipment like ours, you would go to a two-day training. At to least. Learn how to program and put words in and um, edit things. And now it's like, I can get you up and going in an hour. And then fine-tune you over the next few weeks after you have a device. Um, It's just so much easier to learn. And the interfaces are so more intuitive than they used to be that it's really opening the doors for more people to feel like, hey, yeah, we can do this. Oh, yeah, we can have this technology in our classroom. We can have this technology in our home. We can do this. And when you say environmental interfaces, are you talking about like when you take pictures of real objects and put them in the device? Or what do you mean by environmental interfaces? I am talking about um, once you have a device, you can get it integrated, which means you can hook it up to your Wi-Fi to Ah. send emails to control remotes. Um, Mm. You know, and for your younger population, that is not going to be as important because, of course, we want them to be focused on their language and growth. But as your clients get older so that they can have a higher degree of independence and do things for themselves and have a higher quality of life, their ability to turn the TV on and choose the channel they want to watch or turn the fan on in their room, if they're in a wheelchair and they don't have the ability to reach out with their hands and do those things, those environmental controls can be life-changing. Right. Holly, that's empowering. So what's new and upcoming for Allcom? Like, what have you seen that the rest of us haven't seen? <laughs> it's really the hardware that's changing all the time. Better okay. interfaces, like I said before, smaller, faster, and lighter. Um, but, you know, I have started seeing some talk about, you know, how could we get assistive technology and devices that have speech generation in it to integrate with, with your brain, you know, just to be able to think about where mm. you want the cursor to go on the screen and activate it. How would it know? Wow. <laughs> if I could say anything to any of the therapists and families that I meet for the first time, I usually say, assume that they're competent. Right. You know, right. even though your client may appear very mm-hmm. limited, assume that they're competent mm-hmm. because a lot of the times, there's a lot going on. They just have never had the ability to express it. So they were just beginning to see with this young man just how smart he was. Wow. Just how appropriate his wow. yes. was going to be. Yeah. And, and it was spontaneous. Like there was no, she said there was no prompting. You know, it wow. wasn't even his speech session. It was his occupational. I mean, his device was there, but no one was prompting him to use it and he had already discovered enough words on there to come up with a novel utterance on his own. 
Oh, I love it. That's fantastic. See, there you go. That's what you want. I mean, you don't get to pick and choose what they say, but right. nobody does for their child. <laughs> None of us get to do that. So yeah. that's how very um, just like regular kid is that. And fantastic for a child who, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of our, our clients that we work with have all of their life controlled for them all the time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They, they're told what they can do and when they can do it or they're, if they're physically limited, you know, they depend on others to do for them. So to be able to finally say, I don't want to do this or I want to do this is so it's, empowering. Okay. There's a wonderful website called practicalaac.org. And that one's spelled a little tricky. It's P-R-A-A-C, P-I-C-A-L-A-A-C. Lots of great implementation ideas on that website for any device you're using. Um, And then there's the AAC Language Lab. One of them is aacandautism.com. That's a great website for how assistive technology can help children on the spectrum. And menspeak.com. I love all of those websites. You know, just bookmark them. And when your mm-hmm. client comes in and you need to start thinking about assistive technology, they're just great go-to websites to learn about the options that are there. And then, of course, keep my contact information handy. Uh, yes, yes. And and the last one you said was memspeak.com, right? Memspeak, M-I-N-S-P-E-A-K.com. Great resources. They will all be on the show notes. Like you said, this is really on-the-job training. It's all worth the time that you put into it. Everyone with Assistive Tech Works has really been helpful to us and a great resource for years here at PDT. We appreciate all that you all do. And really, you all are a phenomenal resource. So helpful. And I appreciate your time today. This has been great. I think it'll be fantastic information for therapists out there and help um, us to sort of get more comfortable with the all-com and think about our little people and who may need what and use the technology that's out there. Well, thanks for having me today. Thank you. And again, all this information is on the show notes. So check that out there. We'll list all the websites that Holly mentioned today and have links for all of that there on theworkingtherapist.com and on pediatricdt.com. Thank you again, Holly. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And I'll catch you next time on another episode of The Working Therapist. Thanks for joining us for today's edition of The Working Therapist, an extension of the Pediatric Developmental Therapy Network. If you would like more information regarding this podcast or would like to get in touch with us for any reason, visit us on the web at www.pediatricdt.com. That's pediatricdt.com. 